Hello, and welcome to Banking Transform, the top podcast in retail banking. I'm your host, Jim Roos, owner and CEO of the Digital Banking Report and co-publisher of the financial brand. Customers want their financial institutions to know them, understand them, and reward them based on their unique financial situation. Displaying this level of empathy is difficult, though, if data remains in silos. The aggregation of data to generate insights is only half of the battle for financial institutions, though. Banks and credit unions must go beyond using data to create great reports to supporting exceptional experiences and engagement, what I call the final mile in the customer journey. I'm excited to have Ed Maslavakis, CEO of Bud Financial on the Bank and Transform podcast. We'll be discussing the firm's expansion to the U.S. and how financial institutions of all sizes are leveraging data, insights, personalization, open banking, and banking as a service as strategic differentiators. Starting out from the U.K., Bud Financial has expanded into geographies like Australia and New Zealand and has recently announced an expansion into the U.S. Bud's data intelligence models have supported BASS, open banking efforts, lending deposit generation, wealth management, as well as onboarding processes and buy now, pay later initiatives. In short, Bud Financial has worked with financial institutions worldwide to help them improve customer experiences and engagement. So, Ed, before we get started, can you share a little bit about yourself as well as how Bud works with financial institutions to be positioned to be future ready? Thanks, Jim. I don't think I could have said that first part better myself. Probably that's what my uh, marketing team asked me to be able to articulate for a while. So, so that was a great intro. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess uh, you know the question around you know why do we exist? Why are we different to what's out there? With Bud, we, we you know, we, we come from an open banking background and, you know, prior to uh, being an open banking player, um, sort of quote unquote open banking player, we we were a consumer app first for two, the first two years. So um, the focus of that app um, was around taking the, the transactional data that we that was in the bank account. This is before open banking, so 2015. Um, taking that data and turning it into customer insights so customers could make better financial decisions. And those decisions were sometimes around budgeting and financial management. They sometimes were about financial products to take, what to take, and what not to take. And so, in 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 building that early on, what we developed was a, 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 a early capability to take that data and really understand who the customer is. And if you fast forward to today and how we work with financial institutions, you know our specialty is taking that 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 same data now we can we can now accept formats from different aggregators from core from different cards from ocr readers in lots of different countries but but the core is still the same that, that we take that that bank data or the the transaction data that, that that someone spends or and their income and we understand who that customer is so we've taught machines how to understand transaction data that's what we do that's what we're best at and as you mentioned, there are ways that you know wealth managers, that um, credit bureaus, that lenders, that fintechs um, can all use that in different ways. But I think that core capability is there was sort of a missing part of the puzzle. We talk around the industry, and before I was at Salesforce, we talked about three hundred and sixty view of customer. Well, in financial services, if you don't understand what's in the bank data, you don't 
I don't think you even got 200 degree view or, uh, you know, maybe even a hundred degree view that for us was always the core problem and the core thing to unlock. Um, so, so really in a nutshell, that's what we do. We, we understand that customer based off of that data and, and believe it or not, that's a, a really hard problem. Uh, and that's why not many people have solved for it. Well, it's interesting too, because I talk about the fact that the final mile, which is, it's one thing to get from data to insights. It's another to get from insights to implementation, actually using it. I get frustrated because my my uh, consumer bank, my personal bank account, I know they know so much about me. And I know if I went into their headquarters and said, show me everything you know, they'd show me just amazing data and insights about who I am, what I do, how I do it, where else I bank, all these things. The problem is that final mile, that actually showing me what you know about me so that I value that relationship greater. How do you help organizations with that final mile? Not just going from data to insight, but from insights to, let's say, engagement and experiences. Yeah, it's a good question. It's a good point. So I guess it, it really begins at taking the, the, the core problem. So the core problem is, if I was to go through your bank data, Jim, I'm sure it'd be very enlightening. Um, but... Um, and, and as would it be if you went through mine, you would understand what's in there and I would understand and I could take a piece of paper or create an Excel sheet and create some insights on who you are. Um, and so I think the, you know, when we began this journey, we kind of believed that, you know, the, the great and the good of the banks in the world had that capability at a machine level. That they had systems which could tell me really, really who you are and what you did. But the reality is, is you know, a human can do it but there are deep challenges of um, allowing that solution to be scalable. Um, so, and, and scalable beyond kind of a one-on-one personal banker type thing. You know, I have this old, uh, this old letter that was written to my mother like a long time ago when she was uh, uh, living at, just moving out of her parents' farm in the UK. And this letter sort of like talks about the nuance of her life, the fact that she she's thinking of moving abroad and that she knows her mom and she, she, she spoke to her about that she'd just finished college and she'd met this guy and all these details about, about her. And that was like a really personal experience. And that was kind of the banking of old was this kind of like really, we understand how, who you are. And so, you know, our job is maybe not to understand um, who your parents are and, and that kind of thing. Our job is to, to, to teach machines what, what, what that transaction data means. And to do that, you know, to get to that, so like you talk about the insight to action. First of all, like the question is, how do you get to insight? I, th- I think a lot of people have talked about the fact that they have insight, but what's happened is they've people have not started from first principles and they've said, okay, how, how do we understand this person? How can we get insight on this person? They, and they've gone, okay, well, we need to categorize and enrich the data. You know, we make some sort of categorization capability. And then we, when we make the insights. And so there's a lot of vendors and people out there talking about, oh, we've got all these insights. The reality is the, the core enrichment, the categorization, the merchant identification, the classification, the geolocation, all the insights on that, date, that, that transaction data, typically what we see is that that's done really poorly and it's just skipped over. So, you know, at best, people in the market have let's say they have like an 80% accuracy at understanding what that transaction is. That's kind of, you know, typically a good solution you see in the market. People might claim to have something else, but when you data benchmark it, um, 
it's really not, it's probably at best 80%. Well, that sounds good. But, but the problem is as soon as you're trying to make an insight, create that insight on someone, it's not on one transaction, it's on a hundred, it's a 200, 400 transactions. So your, your error rate compounds. So that 20% becomes over two transactions, become 40%, become 60%. And that's your error rate. And so this is why there's been so much talk about self-driving bank account, all these type of things. But the core problem hasn't been solved that, that actually machines don't understand what really accurately enough what that transaction is. So we spent really the last, you know, five or six years and, you know, Bud's been around for eight years and really now we've been able to grow because we spent, you know, five years and a lot of investment dollars fixing that one problem. So now our models are, you know, at that core categorization level are best in market. The latest models in the UK have got to about 98%, which means the error rates much, much smaller so that the insights can be better. So when the insights are better, actually the bit from insight to action is, a, is actually an easier problem once your insights are accurate. Because right. if you start to go to action, you've got a bad insight, then you know, You're bad people action. have a bad experience. Exactly. Bad action, right? Yeah. And that's, that's the worst piece. So that's why now we've been able to do a lot more on lending and actually make people feel more comfortable with, with, with that. So that's a very long answer to your question. You know, it's interesting because you've had a great deal of success in the UK and have recently expanded in Australia and New Zealand. But why did you decide to come to the US where the competitive marketplace, as well as the regulatory environment, are not necessarily very friendly? Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's an important point. So as a, as, a, as a tech founder, you know, the US is always uh, has a huge draw, but also it's, it's a very scary place, right? There are there's a graveyard of European companies that have tried to come over here and had to retract. Um, I think, you know, for us over the years, we have been asked by a number of large corporates and fintechs, would they consider bringing your services over to the U S and we've looked at it a number of times and really, you know, you know, with our core capability being around the, the intelligence on, on transaction data, um, you know, we started to think, okay, could we build these models? Would they work? We built the models last year over here. And we, we, we managed to get to quite a good degree of accuracy pretty quickly. And we, we've obviously invested in systems to be able to do that for years. And that's how we've done that in New Zealand, Australia. That's how we've done it um, in sort of test markets in Europe with, with other languages. Um, so, so we found, first of all, like our, our, we could get our models to a pretty good degree of accuracy. So we, uh, we started speaking to a number of different potential customers. What we found over here was that, that first of all, the U.S. is a very competitive market, uh, very dynamic. Um, and so what that means is that a lot of organizations are very willing, if they have an edge, which, you know, with our services, you you can you can create an edge by having greater accuracy if you can offer someone an edge in lending customer experience personalization then really the the buying market out here is much more dynamic and there's there's an opportunity there so that was one piece second of all because of the dynamic mar nature of the market us organizations are very sort of used to and adapt at using quote unquote alternative data so it's amazing like if you look at the lending models over here how much other data is used other than the bank data way more than that's what's used in the uk with open banking way more that's used with the open data regulation in australia there's all sorts of crazy crazy maybe good crazy maybe weird models over here that are being used 
but people weren't using the transaction data. And the, the reason why, you know, my belief is, first of all, it's that hard problem to solve. Second of all, you know, a lot of aggregators over here had done some hard work and a lot of hard work at kind of exposing the data and, and the core transformations have been done so you can get hold of data now. But that next step hasn't been taken because in this market, you know, the screen scraping problem is so big. It's such an engineering challenge to get hold of the data that, you know, that next level investment hasn't been taken. Now, don't get me wrong. There are a number of startups now in the US that are starting to do what we do. So it's kind of a fun time to come across. The competition's emerging at the same time we're here. Um, so th there was just a clear need here and a clear demand from customers. So it was a bit of a no-brainer for us. Um, and, you know, we very quickly, you know, we're six months in from a sales mission. We've got our first few customers. We've got a, we're engaged with a couple of different banks now. Um, so the demand here is real. It's just making sure that we are present-minded enough to capitalize on, on that and not be, not have our European or our UK ha heads on. We want to have, you know, a full American mindset um, and treat it from zero to one. It's not, we have no advantages based on our existing business. It's, it's like starting a new business all over again. So that said, you talked about a lot of solution sets, the, anything from mm -hmm. um, lending to uh, wealth management to buy now, pay later, things of this nature. We talked a little bit about this before we started the podcast, but organizations today have a really difficult time jumping into the water for economic environment situations, for the scope of mindset and, and just having so many things going on at once. Does your solution, is it compartmentalized where a person says, I need to solve this part of my problem, not the whole thing, that you can come in and work yeah. on a specific solution set? So, yeah. Um, so it's, it's interesting that's kind of where we've got to in the last few years, including this, this localization within the US. So I'll just sort of briefly talk on the, the different component pieces. First of all, we had to solve that, that first challenge first, right? That was the, to get really accurate the data. Then, like you say, build the insights that, you know, the core insights that understand the customer, you know, the income, you know, their activities, their preferences, that kind of thing. Um, that then allowed us to build discrete, systems and services so we can now do uh credit like credit worthiness assessment we have a uh, automated process that completely does that end-to-end -end. and we we even have our own dashboard that um if it's flagged for a manual review uh you know a bank can pick that up and they can have a manual review of that dashboard straight away so that's an end-to-end -end solution on the on the other side um of you know where we can set up custom what we call signals so if you want to push a notification insight to a customer we can set those up we can allow you to build your own so that's kind of the the steps we see it as the transaction intelligence the customer insight piece which is those types of services uh, individual assessment and then we go to the third step now which which we've only really just begun talking about but we've been building ever since we came here and and really what happened in this market very quickly was what we heard from lenders was look, a lot of your services are helping me lend more, but really right now I want to understand two things. I want to understand how can I increase deposits and how can I um, understand in this new market, this new environment, if my customer is going to default before early. So we've built something that we're calling portfolio level insight. So we've gone from transaction level insight to customer insight, now to cross portfolio insight. So what we can do is we, we, we integrate into the core of the bank 
So most of our solutions really are on first-party data, not third-party data. So, you know, the first problem is sort my data out and we can bring the world in. Um, so what we can do now is on, on that is in real time, we can be um, monitoring the, the, the bank transactions of the customers. We can understand, you know, stack rank from one to 10,000 or one to 100,000. Show me the customers based off of these attributes that um, are most likely to default on the, an unsecured loan that I have. You know, show me the customers that are taken out more than two buy now pay layers in the last three weeks. You know, all these custom segments we can now build and um, and you can view them through our dashboard or your own dashboard if you can use it via our set of APIs. You can segment those customers for risk, uh, which helps stopping defaults. And you can understand the opportunities in real time. Has a customer just had a, a big cash deposit land in their account? Have they had a, um, um, have they sold their house? Have they changed their job? Or do we need to talk to them about their 401k? Um, you know, are there off are there opportunities to understand, you know, where my bank, my customers are banking and what products they might have. So we can kind of get a view on what, what types of products, other products they have by understanding the cash in and out. And, and can you give, that gives me an opportunity as a bank to, to actually have that conversation with a customer and say, Hey, uh, I noticed you do X, Y, and Z, you know, you know, we have this product here that does that, does it better? Or, you know, it's the same. It's a similar product, but we're a local bank and we invest in the community. Is that something that you're you're interested in depositing that money with us? So, so we've had we've changed very quickly over here to to, to act locally um, on those, and also that's really helped us globally. And and thinking about the UK and Australia, we now have this portfolio, these portfolio views we can start bringing into banks over there. And it, all that thinking was developed from conversations here. So this is a, a personal question, I guess, on your journey because. When you start off with this product, it was a it was really a great platform that I would say helped consumers bank better. They they helped you found all these opportunities. You helped them move the, the scenario and, and actually help them with their financial wellness journey. That hasn't changed very much, but as we just discussed, you're now allowing organizations to compartmentalize your solutions and deploy them as needed. How hard was it? for you to let go of the global view to allow the solution sets to be sold separately? I think it came down to like a being pragmatic, right? There was always this vision of, we have this long-term vision of, um, we, we think that every customer interaction in the bank should be data-driven. right? And to do that, there are, there are these different touch points. Um, one is around the lending, the credit worthiness piece. One is around the personalization, the cross-sell, the upsell. And one is around, you know, financial well-being and, and understanding your finances and making decisions. And, you know, we used to try and sell the whole thing. Um, and by, by, by selling the whole thing, it was, it's too big of a problem for anyone to solve. It's too big of a problem for us to do the whole thing well. And equally, it's too hard of a, a problem for someone to buy the whole thing, right? You got, you're talking about a, a big old sales cycle, a big amount of belief in, in us as a company. So what's difficult about this, you sell just enough to give yourself pats on the back and say, we did well, while you may not have optimized the sales potential. Yes. Yeah, no, that's it. And so you, you really need to go deep to, to get to that full outcome. And, and, or, and, and, and so that's allowed us to, to scale 
by having, you know, individual solutions that are end-to-end point solutions, and then invest in the future and, and, and invest in some of those other solutions more deeply. So yeah, we're picking off piece by piece. We don't want, we're not going to do everything in the bank, but certainly from a data orchestra, like a di- getting the data into a usable format so that um, different models and systems can use that, that data, that, that's really our game. So it's interesting in this next AI, AI wave that's coming, you know, we have certain AI tools that, that do different parts, but you know, there's a huge wave of AI products and services coming and, the bank's not going to be able to take advantage of any of those, whether it's by built, they're built by the AI services are built by Bud or by someone else, if they don't actually have a view and an ability to get hold of that data in a clean way right now. So that's, that's a big challenge that we're, we're talking to people about. You, you know, it's interesting. As I'm in the marketplace, you know, every financial institution knows what they need to do. I don't, there's no mystery here. They also know how important personalization, data-driven insights, insights driving actual activity and and engagement. They all know this, but the talk is so much greater than the walk. It's very hard for organizations to think outside the box and do things differently, no matter how much common sense it makes, because they're used to the old processes. So when implementing new business models, how can finance institutions, from your perspective, unlock the greatest value how is this different from what's been done in the past, and what do you see going forward? That's a, that's a, that's big, a question. big question. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> a big question. Yeah. So, look, I, I think I think it's nice now that, and as you mentioned, that we can talk about end solutions because I think first of all, getting hold of your getting your data into uh, a usable format was the first problem, and and we've solved for that. The next question is, you know, how do you put that into a broader strategy um, across the bank? So I don't think I've seen any institution be able to solve that their data challenges outside of the product and uh, the kind of product and um, business line silos that exist in. Yep. You know, you've got secured, unsecured, you know, even sometimes you've got your know, credit card, home loan, all those different silos. I think I would love to be able to start to, to you know like years ago we had this these innovation functions that existed in banks and they were kind of off to the side and what happened over time was they got brought into the bank and there's like a thin line across the different silos i think there should be a specific job now of like data orchestration that sits across and i think there are but i don't know that um that that strategy has been pushed hard enough because that's the future of this so i think first of all having a unified data strategy would be would be number one, right? And and understanding that the same core data that you're using in any of those products or propositions can be leveraged elsewhere. And that, that's where we get to with, we've got these end solutions now, but ultimately the core technology we use to understand the, the customer is the same. It's just, we've built, you know, um, personalization tools, we've built lending tools, you know, if a, if a bank should almost be a, a large version of what we are is, is have that core customer capability or understanding and then, and then have offshoots off that. Um, now, now we get into the realms of what the CRM implementation is of the bank. Um, and I think that's going to change hugely in the next few years. And, and that's based on like um, language models, right? So what language models can do is they can... Um, they can parse through large data sets very quickly and get an understanding. So it's going to be interesting when you start to see 
what what some of these new models are able to do rather than replacing kind of manual CRM processes. The CRM of the future is is going to be one which which understands all that insight and can create that outcome. And that's that action piece you're talking about. So they need to get a hold and understand that data first. That's it. Um, then they can speak to the great and the good of the of the of of the actions and outcome providers. So we're going to take a short break to recognize our sponsors of this podcast, but then we're going to get back and talk a little bit about ChatGPT, Buzz Transactional AI, a recent announcement you just made around Google, but also what do financial institutions do now? So let's take a short break here and we'll get right back. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Microsoft. See how Microsoft can help unlock new opportunities at speed and scale through innovative business processes, delivering differentiated customer experiences across channels, innovating new products and services, and redefining new ways of thinking. Find out more at Microsoft.com backslash financial services. Welcome back to Bank of Transform. Today, I'm joined by Ed Masalakis, CEO of Bud Financial. We've been discussing the recent announcements of Bud's expansion in the U.S. and the opportunities and challenges being faced by financial institutions around developing and delivering personalized solutions. So, you know, right before the break, we talked a little bit about conversational AI, um, b- both from the standpoint of ChatGPT, but also with regard to Bud's transactional AI. How do you see all these elements of the new wave of AI impacting what you're delivering to the marketplace, but more importantly, what your data insights do to make this delivery even better than would be on its own? Yeah. Uh, I mean, in lots of ways, look, I didn't, you know, as any sort of technology founder, I, I, we couldn't have predicted how, as much as we've been in this world, we couldn't have predicted how quickly this GPT world is, and these language models are moving. Um, it's really phenomenal. Um, there's obviously a, a sort of competition and an innovator's dilemma that's held this stuff back, and now it's uh, the, the floodgates have opened. Um, so it's not, it, you know, so on the face of it, it looks like everyone's just figured something out and uh, everything's just exploded at once. But it's, you know, you you look at what Google's now released. Um, and they realize that you know that that now like this the world is here, and they've released a bunch of new uh, AI tools, and now you realize, hey, these guys, wow, I mean they, they're <laughs> they're miles ahead. Um, you know their implementations are, are really phenomenal, and I guess we could talk about what we're doing over there uh, in a second. But um, for us, we're actually quite fortunate in the sense that actually all of our models, the way we enrich data, is all language based. And so what that means for us is, hey, that's how, that's how we've been able to create really accurate systems quite quickly. So at, like, we, we trained over here in a number of weeks and we got to a high degree of accuracy. And you know, the US is the hardest market. Um, language um, models, like obviously there's more English language than, than any on the internet. Yeah. And so that does help from a US perspective, but also there's more merchants here than anywhere else. So that that's the detractor. You need to get the long tail of merchants to be accurate. So for us, language models are really important because the, when you get the string of, when you get that string through um, of the messy data, um, there are language, the language elements in there. You know, you and I could read something and say, okay, uh, w, WAL, PT, 
uh, 26.5. Like we could say, okay, that's the, you know, the 26. Um, we could see that was from Walmart and maybe PT, that's maybe that's, that's, that's petrol or gas or GA would be gas over here or something like that. But like, again, I said at, at the top of the show, um, understanding that that on a, on a, on a, on a machine basis, you, you got, you got to, you got to teach uh, the machines to do that. So for us, our, our systems are ready to be used by language models. That's what's great. Um, and also a lot of what we do underneath our, our model is we do a lot of data labeling and training. And so the opportunity for us is actually, um, maybe give some of a game away, but, um, we use a lot of human intervention, the human labelers, and, and, and to train our models. Well, now some of these GPTs can actually train our models. So not only are we the most accurate, but today we think this is the next unlock uh, for us. So we're really excited about why that takes us next. And then on the top, you know, we've, we've made all this data accessible. We've enriched it with our, with our models. Um, you couldn't enrich, uh, you couldn't create a, a real-time GPT model for transaction data because it's just not scalable to the billions of transactions. It's too heavy right. to call that every time. So you, so you need a, a model in between, which is what we've built. And then on top, those actions then, um, GPTs and um, those types of models can be used to, to, to make the assessments on, on what's happening on the customer level. So we're in a really nice sweet spot. Um, but there are like different threats that, that exist um, from these new pieces, but we just have to leverage the tools better, better than anyone. That's that's kind of the way it's always been, I guess. Does, does the future then maybe move a little bit away from product sales to actually engagement around financial wellness, which will lead to product sales, but where there's a big conversational element that really can build engagement from the data. So going from data to an engagement and conversation, maybe around, geez, I'm having problems with my my balancing of my checkbook. I'm having challenges with getting credit right now because my credit rating has gone down or anything of this nature to then go into the product as opposed to being product-specific this becomes much more customer-specific capabilities when you're looking at the power of ChatGPT, correct? Yeah, so you, you need to have you need to have that core understanding and that all you know it goes to what we we're talking about before the accuracy of what what the date the underlying data first, and then the queries on top. Yes, the queries on top uh, can be resolved much quicker and easier, um, and so you need some sort of general purpose. Um, way to query that data. Um, I always find it though funny in the sense that, you know, when chatbots came around V1, you know, remember sort of chat, all these chatbots a couple of years ago, it was the bane of my life actually, because um, we would go to VCs and they would say, you should be building a chatbot, not what you're building. And we were like, okay, that's, that's not our game. Uh, you don't understand the product. You don't understand what we're building. Fine. But anyway, move on to the next investor. Um, but, so with financial services, like, no, I don't think uh, with numbers generally, I don't think, because that's what this is, you know, you should do X because we see Y, you know, that's what the GBT would say. Um, but but so often sometimes you need to show show an image as well. So, so I do think, I don't think that chatbots are necessarily going to replace all interfaces because you know, graphical interfaces, as humans, they tell us a lot. They actually you get a lot of information more quickly than you do through language. So, the, so it, 
it's not going to replace all interfaces, but it, but it will augment some of the understanding and some of the um, solutionizing. Um, it will get they can they can start to get better at logic. Basically, they can they can understand more parameters for logical outcomes. And that's, I think, those optimization questions, which used to take a huge amount of compute. It's like uh, the kayak or the whatever you're, when you were searching for your flights, that was always the challenge with those products was that there was so much compute that went into telling you what flight to get. Um, and these can, can do it in a much cheaper way. So I'm going to do a little bit of a pivot, but not as much as I originally thought it would be. But you recently made a very important announcement that Bud was going to actually become the first UK fintech to join the Google Cloud Marketplace. What is the impact on your firm? But more importantly, why should bankers care? Yeah. Okay. Well, I think bankers should care for lots of reasons. But I think if you want to come down to the brass tacks, us being on the Google Marketplace, you know, it really allows you to purchase Bud through 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 your your um your your Google credits and your and your compute. So. It makes that onboarding much easier. It sometimes can make it, you know, it makes it much more affordable and cheaper to, to acquire the, the services. So that's the first part. For us, it's making sure now that with Google's go-to-market and being one of, a partner with them is like we need to, I guess, uh, it's twofold. One, we needed to be a big enough outfit and be and have the scale and the capability to to deal with the inflow from Google. You know, they're starting to they'll start to sell our product. Um, and and we'll upskill their, their sales teams of how to talk about some of our services, and that will really bring us a lot of scale. But again, it was for us; it was making sure that we were ready to to handle that scale. Of course, any startup is you you uh, you know you you can take on any challenge, but you don't want to get it wrong because if you get it wrong, it, the opportunity is gone. Yeah. So so we've been working really hard to get that right. Um, part of that is being able to scale into any country quite quickly and be able to deal with the data from different countries and be able to deal with different organization sizes in with different teams as well. So, so that's kind of really the impacts more yeah. been on some technical, but, but mainly on a sales customer delivery, customer support type, type side. So speaking of sales um, and getting very tactical in this conversation, if an organization wants to work with you to, to build a better personalized solution for whatever their challenges are, what size organizations are your sweet spot? I mean, do you work with small organizations? Do you work with mid-sized organizations? What, what's your, where have you found your sweet spot to be in, and what do you think it's going to be in the U.S.? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and that's changed in the U.S. So, look, if you look at Bud, our first ever customer was HSBC. Um, and then we signed a couple of other big banks after that as well. And so, I mean, look, that's never the typical way to do things. I wouldn't recommend that as a way to start your fintech. The, the, the consensus is start small and get bigger over time. And that is the right way to do it. But we just happened to sign HSBC as our first customer. And you're not going to say no, especially uh, back then. So what that meant was from, from, from really from signing them, okay, we had to really figure out how to work with them. We had to scale that took us a few years to get over and to to make that work um from our side and and also it was early it was much earlier in this sort of fintech yep. banker relationship yep. um we were kind of one certainly in the uk we were one of the first to do it it was it was more progressed over here than than it was in the uk the kind of um fintech banker thing um so 
so that meant we can we can we can deal with and work with companies of any size. We we just also announced a partnership with TransUnion, and an, they're now an investor, and we're going to market with them. So we're able to deal with those size. But equally, we work with very small startups. We work with like Series C, you know, seed round, Series A startups. So, but really, our de- our our our, our um, implementations fall into two groups. One big bank implementation. You need a team behind that. You need to be solutionizing. You have a, a structure and a communication structure internally and externally of how you communicate with one another as to not waste too much of each other's time. Um, you have like information sharing exercises. But on the fintechs, it's typically, here's, here's our APIs, here's the contract, here's what we want to build, solution alignment and go. So, so they are slightly two different motions. Um, now, how big the fintech is, and how big the bank is, they, they, it doesn't really, it almost doesn't matter. They, they just act differently. Mm-hmm. You have, you know, customers like we have like Credit Karma. They don't act like a, a big bank. Right. Um, uh, but, but my God, are they stringent on the technology? They are a great technology partner, but they act super quickly. They get things deployed quickly. Um, and they just, act, they just act, have a different motion. Um, so it's really those two motions. So, so we can work with anyone. In the US, right now, our focus is on um, banks, over, banks over 10 billion in asset size and, um, and, and, and fintechs of, of any size. Now, the banks over 10 billion are, right now, um, as you mentioned, I think a lot of banks here, um, they want to have these discrete problems and they understand they have the data and they have data access they can access we or them can access their data and we can solve these problems for them whereas banks below 10 billion um some may some may not so for us it's the yep. focus there's a team of six of us here right um and then you know the fintechs for us here the fintechs here we're signing them you know quite quickly that for us is um just getting our whole us motion going getting the data flowing getting the propositions going that's what that that's all about so and the big bank sales thing, that's a sort of, you know, those are sort of one to three year projects, as you, as you will. Okay. And for a final question, and it's one I use quite often when I'm work, talking to companies like yours. When you engage with a financial institution, be it any size, and they say, we want to go forward. And it could be in the UK, it could be anywhere. But in the US right now, we're in the UK. When somebody says, yeah. let's go forward. What gets in the way of things working the way you envisioned it when you signed the contract? Yeah. So first of all, yeah, getting to sign the contract is half the battle, right? So <laughs> yeah, that was kind of yeah. what we talked about is we used to go really big, sell this dream. We had this right. dream that we were selling. And um, we realized actually that that just took too long to get to the contract. And so once you're in and you've got the MSA in place and you've got a way of working together, then, then you can do other things. So, what what blocks you from 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 the contract uh, from post contract? I guess it's not having a pre alignment in terms of what's the business case, what's the R- clear ROI that we're both driving towards. Because if we're driving towards two different ROIs, then there's a mishmash. Yeah, things get lost, and then and also product uh, um, the solutions can get deprioritized. There's not a clear budget. Or there was, yeah, we need to do this transformation thing and we want to make our app look better. Uh, great. 
um, as soon as anything happens, like what's happened recently in the financial market, in the, the bank space over here, well, that project's cut because it's not aligned to an ROI right. or a key objective right. in the P&L. So, so I think that's the most important thing. And that's where, that's where we, we often took some missteps in sort of 2019, 2020 was, hey, you know, we were in this wave of the challenger banks are coming. The challenger banks are coming. Look at their, look at their customer experiences. We need to improve your customer experiences. And that was great. We could do that. But there was, wasn't a clear ROI at that point. And so someone decides that they need to fix the mortgage process because that has a clear ROI and you get deprioritized. So it's, it's making sure we have those. Ed, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate talking to you. Congratulations on all the things you're doing at once, it seems. Going go to the U.S., working with Google, and, and then everything in the marketplace changes daily. So I know that that's, a, that's a challenge in and of itself. We wake up, I think we wake up every morning going, okay, we'll peek to see what the top news stories are, and hopefully it's not banking this time. So... Thank you again, Absolutely. and I look I'm, I look forward to seeing you in Amsterdam. Yeah, you too. Take care. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Banking Transform, winner of three international awards for podcast excellence. If you enjoy what we're doing, please take 30 to 45 seconds to show some love in the form of a review. Finally, be sure to catch the recent articles I've done for the financial brand and check out the research we're doing for the Digital Bank Report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our senior producer, Leah Hasage, audio engineer, Sean Roll Hoffman, and video producer, Will Pritz. I'm your host, Jim Roos. Until next time, remember, the real power of data intelligence is to make the life better for your customers. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.